We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa know-how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a Hollywood acceptance speech. I'm so surprised. I had no idea. I'm not even prepared. Um, okay. <clears throat> I'd like to thank the progressive discounts that got me here. Safe driver, multi-car, paid in full multi-policy. This is just such a big moment. And did I mention that I'm surprised? With all kinds of discounts, progressive helps you save. Oh, oh, oh. and I want to thank my agent and all my discounts agents because we all have the same agent. Don't start the music. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit for a free contest entry today. 
It is Tuesday, October 20th, 2015. As usual, Jake Litarski is here with special guest Nick Whalen today. He's going to be filling in for uh, an Eric Katuri who is uh, day-to-day with illness, I guess we'll just say. Nick, how's it going? How'd your leagues go this week? It's going well. I mean, first of all, we, we wish our best to Eric, who's back at home. Uh, he's, he's been online working like a trooper uh, throughout the day, but we basically said don't come into the office because we don't want to get anyone else sick. So glad to be here filling in for Eric. Uh, I usually do the Wednesday podcast with Mike Doria, but it'll be nice to mix things up a little bit. I actually went 3-0 and this week in, in my leagues uh, for the first time this season, so I, I was very thrilled about that. Uh, didn't do quite so hot in my Pick'em League, um, which you know, unfortunately I think I've, I, might, I might care the most about that at this point, uh, <laughs> given the, the money that's on the line there. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, an above average week overall, got off to a little bit of a rocky start in my hometown league, finally started to turn things around there. Uh, finally recovered from my loss to Rotowire's Chris Benzine Ooh, that's in our office league. One. Uh, right. And, you know, I, I think there's some, some dissension in the locker room in my team after that one, but we got things sorted <laughs> out a big win and, uh, you know, we're on to Cincinnati. Yeah. Lose the zine and you probably won't forget it for a week because no. he'll definitely let you know. So, uh, yeah, hopefully bouncing back there. I, I went two and three in my leagues. I was right about ready to get to the 500 <laughs> mark. And I, there was one league where I had four players from last night going and Sam Bradford kneeling down twice at the end brought me out of a tie game. So I ended up losing by like point three. You, or point wait, two you points. lost on the, the was, negative rushing it yardage? It was 112.2 to 112.2 in this league head to head. And then Bradford lost point two points for for the negative rushing yards from Niels. And, oh wow! And I lost it. I mean, I didn't check for scoring adjustments this morning. Maybe I should have because that's my only hope at this point. But it was a rough one to go. My my four players I started turned the ball over five times too. So I really think that's more to blame than the kneel downs. But in the end, it, it's tough to see it go down like that. Right, and that was an ugly game. You mentioned the five turnovers from those two guys. I assume it wasn't Eli and Bradford. Uh, no, it was, uh, well, it was Bradford. And then of course the Rashad Jennings right. fumble and Jordan Matthews fumbled oh, one as oh, well. So you had so, three guys just turning it over. Okay. Yes, yeah. I mean, three guys turning it over five total times and, uh, yeah, it was yeah. rough. Five, five, uh, combined interceptions from Eli Manning and Sam Bradford in that one. And I, I, re- I had the Giants going to pick up, so I was very rooting very hard more than I ever have, I think for the New York Giants. <laughs> and you know, that first drive that came out scored right away, marched down the field, uh, with the Odell Beckham kind of rolling into the end zone touchdown. And mm-hmm. then from there on, it was pretty much all Philadelphia. Uh, and they didn't even play that well. I mean, you think if yeah. if Bradford doesn't throw some of those picks, this, this final score looks a little right. bit ugly. I mean, they end up scoring 27 consecutive points uh, to end the game. Probably could have punched it in in that final drive that you mentioned where they where they turned the ball over, or when they uh, took a knee, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, just a messy game. Some, some puzzling throws. Uh, the, the Riley Cooper miscommunication throw, I think, pretty much summed yeah. up yeah. Uh, what this game was Guy all just about. just stopped running. And, of course, I had Zach Ertz going in a few places, too. I, I'm, I'm loving Zach Ertz's potential because he's getting a lot of targets, a lot of red zone targets. But, I mean, they were just they were getting picked off, and Bradford was just off his game. I mean, do we, do we have to stop defending Sam Bradford at this point? I, I think uh, that seems to be the question. It's been going on for the last couple of weeks. I was pretty high on him to start the year. Uh, just because thinking fast-paced offense, a lot of plays that would really help his fantasy value. So I took a Bradford-Matthews combo in a few leagues, but of course, partially due to the nature of the game, I mean, it was a pretty balanced attack for Philadelphia. Bradford attempted 38 passes, and they ran the ball 37 times. 22 of those carries went to DeMarco Murray, who finished with 109 yards and a touchdown. He pretty much a safe guy to start every week now. Is there any more doubt, doubt about that? DeMarco Murray, that is? Yes, DeMarco Murray. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think those those severe early season woes are probably behind Philadelphia. I, I still don't necessarily love DeMarco Murray right now. 
Um, you know, like you said, he, he kind of had a rebound game, 22 carries, 109 yards, but I mean, 36 of those yards did come on that final kind of garbage time drive. And, you know, those do still count. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, he was bottled up, you know, for a lot of this game. And, and maybe the, the stat line might be a little misleading uh, when it's all said and done. I, I think that I think that there's still a lot of progress to be made with that offensive line. I don't think DeMarco Murray is by any means a juggernaut uh, from a fantasy perspective right now. And it concerned me. He only had one carry in the first quarter. He, he is a, a bigger threat in the receiving game. He had only three catches in this one, but seven targets. Uh, excuse me, four targets. I don't know where I got seven from. Um, but, yeah, just one carry in the first quarter. You know, the, the presence of, of Ryan Matthews there, like they kind of wanted to use him, establish him first. And, you know, I don't love that there are two other guys that they like to get integrated in that backfield. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you look at the final breakdown in the game, and that's what ultimately matters, 22 carries for Murray, nine for Matthews, and two for Sproles. Yeah, right on there. Now, they do continue to use Matthews. If something were to ever happen to Murray, I think Matthews would be the top guy leading off this waiver wire podcast. Finished with nine carries for 40 yards. Quick on the Giants side, we'll hit a few of these guys before we move on, perhaps. Uh, Rashad Jennings was really the carry leader. 13 carries for 63 yards. He was he was key to that first drive, I feel like, coming down and scoring. And then he kind of lost a fumble. And you know how Tom Coughlin feels about those. But he did come back to him in the second half. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, Andre Williams, five carries for six yards. Nothing to get excited about there. Shane Vereen, four carries, zero yards. They couldn't even really get the ball going to Vereen in the passing game like they have in the past. Just one catch on uh, four targets for six total yards. Now, I want to hit on the receivers as well. Odell Beckham Jr., big first drive, kind of quieted after that. Seven carries, or I'm sorry, seven receptions, eight targets for 61 yards and a touchdown. Ruben Randall, five receptions for 44 yards. That was on six targets. Both of those guys, uh, very limited. I don't think even practiced uh, all week, really, because of their hamstring injuries, respectively. And you know that that could be part of the reason why they were unable to get things going uh, through the air. But also, I got to imagine the pass rush had a lot to do with that. They, they just couldn't seem to block anyone. I, I don't. I mean, former Packer Marshall Newhouse on that line. He was having a rough day between between penalties and and letting these Eagles uh, defense through. I mean, does this? I know it's just one game, but. What do you think about this division as a whole? I mean, this kind of ties, makes a a clutter in the the NFC East there with uh, the Giants and the Eagles now both improving to three and three. Uh, Does anyone have a clear-cut favorite, or is it going to be a dogfight till the end? I think it'll be a dogfight. That's a good word to to use to describe this. All of a sudden, you know, it was disaster mode after two or three weeks in Philadelphia, and now they sit atop the NFC East, both them and New York at three and three. Of course, Philadelphia with the tiebreaker. Um, I still don't know if they've turned the corner though. Like a, a twenty-seven, uh, twenty-seven to seven win on Monday Night Football at home should be convincing, but I feel like this was not convincing at all. Uh, defensively, yeah. they played very well. Uh, I think this is a, a big turning point for that defense. But the offense has has a lot of a lot of I don't even know what the right word. They just have a lot of room for improvement, I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah. you like Sam Bradford, twenty-four of thirty-eight, two hundred eighty yards. Those are great. The touchdowns great, but three interceptions that can't happen. Um, one hundred fifty-five rushing yards but 37 carries you know when you break that mm-hmm. down on a per carry basis not really the total you're looking for a long rush of just 21 yards and you know chip kelly's offense is predicated on getting those big plays and they didn't have a rush over 12 yards i believe until that 21 yarder murray was able to rip off off mm-hmm. tackle way late in this game so 
Still not the big play threat that we thought this offense would be. You know, we thought they'd be marching up and down the field, you know, you know, not burning much clock. And they haven't they haven't been burning much clock. They've been running a lot of plays, but just been a lot of short yardage plays, a lot of check down plays, uh, and just not being able to quite get to the next level. And and maybe that'll come you know, as they work some of these newer pieces in. Uh, you know, you're you're breaking in a new quarterback, you're breaking mm-hmm. in a couple of new running backs, a couple of receivers as well. So, you know, there's still plenty of time to grow. I mean, we're not even um, you know, we're not even halfway through the season at this point, but I don't know if there really is a clear favorite. I think mm-hmm. once you get Romo and Des Bryant back, Dallas still might be by a hair the, the favorite for me. Yeah, if if Dallas can hang around just long enough, I think they'll have momentum at least going into the postseason. So I'd say I'm in agreement there. And uh, and yeah, I mean they mentioned on the telecast a bunch of times Sam Bradford not really the running threat that this type of offense, this Chip Kelly offense needs. And I thought that was actually a pretty good point that they brought up. And and they can't really draw anyone away on those zone reads because Bradford really isn't a threat to keep it. But I guess we'll see moving forward. Eagles do have a very tough matchup heading to Carolina for a primetime Sunday night game next week. The Giants will take on the Cowboys, as we mentioned, at home in a late game uh, on Sunday there. So let's move on to the bulk of the podcast here, which is typically our waiver wire or fab or whatever you want to call it, the preview there. Uh, We'll go over position by position, uh, talk about some percentage ownerships and uh, what situations, maybe make some fab recommendations. A few notes, uh, we're going to mention the players uh, that are on by when we talk about them, but just uh, to sum up ahead of time, the week seven buys are Cincinnati, Denver, Chicago, and Green Bay, so a whole lot of fantasy uh, relevant players that'll be missing action here so it's really important to get out there and get on the waiver wire i know tuesday night is a pretty common uh, deadline for waivers if not wednesdays so um, make note of your buys there remember that all percentages that we say are percent owned unless specified otherwise and then also fab estimates based on a standard 12 team hundred dollar budget we'll try to uh, maybe tinker a little bit for the ppr for the deeper leagues here but nick let's start out with the quarterbacks here and there's a couple quarterbacks who pretty much have jobs that are opening up that are relevant in two quarterback formats. But we always like to go over uh, past recommendations, I guess. And I know you went with uh, Eric and me last week, but we did discuss Matt Castle as a possibility. He will be taking that job and starting against the Giants this week. So uh, that's something he he pretty much awarded over Brandon Whedon. And we, Eric and I pretty much found that out the moment we got out of the podcast room last week. But uh, another guy I want to talk about just a touch before we get into the two QB guys is uh, Blake Bortles of your very own Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure listeners know you covered the Jaguars for uh, I've I've made that quite clear. Yeah, made that quite clear. I mean, and I mean, hey, the guys owned in 44% of Yahoo and 47% of ESPN leagues. So it is a coin flip there. Maybe turnover prone sometimes, but are you liking his fantasy aspects the rest of the season? Maybe turnover prone sometimes is a very nice way of putting it. Uh, he's coming off a three interception game and that ugly loss to Houston on Sunday. But if you look at his, his games the last couple of weeks, if your league doesn't penalize big for interceptions, Blake Bortles has actually been a pretty good option. I mean, he's top 300 yards each of the last two weeks, seven combined touchdowns over that span. Uh, was one of the top fantasy quarterbacks against Tampa Bay two weeks ago. Uh, four touchdowns, just one pick, 303 yards. He's actually been getting it done on the ground as well, and he's certainly not going to be a Cam Newton type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, hasn't found the end zone quite yet, but he has a double-digit rush in five of six games thus far. He four, 37 yards, that was a season high against Houston on Sunday. So, you know, not a ton. You know, you don't want to bank on him, you know, helping you out a ton in the in the rushing category. But he is definitely an above-average quarterback from a mobility standpoint. And, you know, if, you're, if your league is one point per 10 yards, it's maybe an extra three or four points per week. So I think you have to take that into account. And like I said, the biggest thing with him is turnovers. Like they're, They've 
really not been shy about unleashing him, and the Jags are going to keep playing from behind for most of the season. So seeing him you know, in the mid-30s and, and even into the 50s in pass attempts in two of the last three weeks really won't be a surprise. I don't really see that changing, even if he continues to make mistakes, because they don't really have another option. Uh, that option is Chad Hen- Man. <clears throat> yeah, that's Excuse me, it's not like they have a, you know, it's not like they have a younger... Uh, you know, high upside guy or even a dependable veteran like a Matt Castle uh, behind them. And, and Jacksonville is pretty much out of contention at this point. So I think they're kind of content to let, let, let Blake Bortles just play this out. And, uh, and if he keeps slinging it around as much as he had, he's going to keep having fantasy value. And, I mean, he's got plenty of weapons, too, which is what I like to think and, and notice when I see Blake Bortles and, and just this Jags roster. I mean, Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, he's really emerged lately. We'll touch on him a little bit later. I mean, if they can ever finally get Marquise Lee going, that's an option. And now they have Julius Thomas, who caught a touchdown last week, back in options. So i got to love the weapons all around hey, just in that offense. Uh, if anything, the receivers are going to make plays, too. I'm waiting for Allen Robinson to just have a couple huge games right now. Right. He, he had his big breakout game, I think, week two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, getting over 100 yards. He's by far their best deep threat. Uh, and pretty much all the guys you mentioned got in the end zone. Uh, in Sunday's game, Robinson, Julius Thomas, and Alan Hearns all caught touchdowns in this one. Hearns now uh, touchdown in four straight games, I believe. He Before this game, he had 116 yards exactly in each of the previous two games, so a down week uh, by his recent standards. It is weird to say that, that, that Blake Bortles has weapons because he actually does now. And you know, T.J. Yeldon missed this game last week. That obviously hurt them a ton from a rushing perspective, but he does have weapons on the edge, and that can only help him. All right, and then uh, we're going to move on here just to a couple more quarterbacks uh, that really more focused on two quarterback leagues. We're going to head to Tennessee real quick. Marcus Mariota dealing with a MCL sprain. Usually with that type of injury, you have to at least sit a week. And with the Titans home against Atlanta Week 7, we've got Zach Mettenberger pretty much going to be available everywhere. I wrote down a $0 budget for him. Because the only place you're going to take him is a two, B, two QB leagues. And I understand if you're in a 14-16 teamer and maybe you have Dalton, Manning, Cutler, or Rodgers on a bye this week. Hopefully you're not relying too much on Cutler, although he has been a little bit uh, lately. I, I can't really trust a whole lot of Zach Mattenberger this week. Uh, the Atlanta defense playing quite a bit better than, than we have in the past. The Atlanta rush defense has been quite a bit better, but they're still bottom five against the pass. So mm-hmm. if you're in a you know a, one of those precarious situations where the buys and the injuries work out, you know just against your favor in your league and with your roster, and you have to end up maybe taking a chance on a guy like you know if you're choosing between him and Matt Castle or, or another low low end quarterback, there's maybe a little bit of upside. He's certainly not a guy who's afraid to sling it downfield at all. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely not a guy you want to be starting in almost any format, but you could probably do a little bit worse just because that Atlanta pass defense hasn't been great. Um, And maybe part of that is because they've they've had a lot of big leads and teams have had to throw quite a bit. But at the same time, I I think... I think you want to avoid Mettenberger at almost yeah. all costs, but you yeah, could do pretty worse. much. You know, a QB two in a sixteen-team two quarterback formats. There's maybe a way to do it. Another guy with a little bit more ownership than may I, I still can't really trust. I guess this guy, and that's Brian Hoyer, only owned in seven percent of Yahoo, six percent of ESPN leagues. He heads to Miami week seven, took over for Ryan Mallett Sunday. Doesn't look like the team's going to be looking back there. I put down a $0 bid for two quarterback leagues only really is where you'd consider him. However, do you bank on DeAndre Hopkins? DeAndre Hopkins has been quarterback proof. So do you think you can count on maybe one or two touchdowns out of Hoyer in a pinch just because of how good DeAndre Hopkins has been? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. He pretty much is. He has been quarterback proof. I mean, he may, arguably the two worst quarterbacks uh, in the league have, have been throwing him the ball this this season and you know four straight hundred yard games uh two touchdowns last time out 
I wouldn't necessarily bank on the touchdowns as much as I would the yardage. You know, looking mm-hmm. at what he's been able to do historically, the targets are going to be there no matter what. Double-digit targets in every game. He had a 22-target game a few weeks ago against mm-hmm. Atlanta, although I, I think Brian Mallett was like slinging around like 58 times or something yeah. in that game. Recipe um, for disaster. So, right, exactly. Believe it or not, that uh, shockingly, that didn't work. I actually looked up a stat on that because I was, I was researching the, the San Diego game um, you know, Philip Rivers threw the ball, what was it, 66, 65, 65 67 something times, like something that, yeah. like that. And uh, and historically, believe it or not, when a team throws the ball that much, it usually doesn't work out. Teams that have their quarterback attempt at least 55 passes in a game are 29, 121, and 1 all time. So about a 24 uh, or 0.24 winning percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we saw that happen. Just quick side note with the Badgers and Stave and their win over North, or, I'm sorry, uh, Nebraska where it was the first time ever a Badger quarterback had thrown 50 passes in a win so very I, much thankfully I was, I was in the stat. car for that game and wasn't able to, to catch that but I, I'm yeah. sure that was that was a whirlwind yeah that was a rough one but uh we're gonna try to transition from there to running backs here uh, <laughs> speaking of Joel Stavi <laughs> yeah no but anyway uh a lot of running backs this week uh you know n- no clear-cut favorites last week I mean Chuck Hendrick West was everybody's go-to option including us on the on our waiver warrior podcast everybody wanted to go to him in daily I still think he has potential for the rest of season. I did. I tried to caution owners a little bit just about the matchup against Minnesota. Only nine carries for 33 yards. But, I mean, when we move along to week seven here, the top target I have written down is Christine Michael in Dallas. And this is another one where you're kind of gambling, kind of basing it on upside because uh, the availability is there, 40% Yahoo, 31% ESPN League. I mean, the team said, uh, I believe it was the running backs coach that had a quote that said, we're going to take the reins off Michael in week seven here. I wrote down a $20, $25 bid, but I went and looked at all my leagues and I couldn't find him available in a single place. Would you say he's the clear-cut favorite for uh, for week seven here? Or, I mean, right across the top of the board here? Or do you think Joseph Randall still has enough of a role where he's not really that startable? Until Would you rather wait and see it, I guess? I would definitely, definitely rather wait and see. Um, I think the reason that Charkandrick West, and, and you could even lump Niall Davis into there, he was probably a little bit higher owned than West going into last week was because there was a clear path to carries. You know, when uh, Jamal Charles goes down with the torn ACL, mm-hmm. you, you know, they have to turn somewhere else, and we knew it wasn't going to be De'Anthony Thomas. So you were basically taking a 50-50 chance uh, on Charkandrick West or Niall Davis. And I was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I kind of held back on Charkandrick mm-hmm. West just because I think people put a lot of stock into one half of football after Jamal Charles went out of that game. I think West had mm-hmm. like nine carries and Davis had three or something. And, you know, people took that as, well, Charkandrick West is going to be the feature back going forward. And, you know, I guess neither of them really panned out this past week. And that, that Chiefs team just continues to free fall ever since the, the Jamal Charles fumble on that Thursday night game. They just can't do anything correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I think if you have some budget to burn and you have a roster spot, Christine Michael's worth an ad, but I would definitely wait and see on him. Yeah. I mean, you might add him this week, maybe keep him on your bench if you can afford to. I know a lot of owners can't afford to, especially those that punted running backs early in drafts. So yeah, definitely worth a look. I would say that he's probably, I don't, I don't know. We're going to go through some other targets, some options to consider. But, yeah, just going back to West, uh, nine carries on Sunday against Minnesota compared to Niall Davis, just five carries. On the other hand, Alex Smith attempted 37 passes. We very rarely see that from the Chiefs. So maybe we see a little bit of a shift in mindset. We're going to get to some more Chiefs receivers later. But uh, I do want to mention uh, Ronnie Hillman, 
of the Broncos, still a little bit, or I'm sorry, he's still only owned in 58% of Yahoo and 73% of ESPN League. So he doesn't have a ton of availability, but he's someone that I wouldn't let sit on your waiver wire anymore, especially the way C.J. Anderson's been playing. No, that, that's an interesting breakdown, too. Kind of a you know a big difference between Yahoo Leagues and ESPN. I think usually those mm-hmm. match up a little bit more closely. But, yeah, it seems like he's kind of lost that job uh, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this is necessarily going to be a Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard situation where both guys seem to be productive and doing mm-hmm. whatever they, you know, doing kind of playing to their own strengths. You know, one gets a receiving touchdown, one gets a rushing touchdown. They They put up similar yardage totals. I think that's pretty unsustainable for Cincinnati and especially for other teams mm-hmm. um, that don't, you know, that don't have that kind of talent. I think Cincinnati can have the luxury of, you know, being in a good offense and having so many weapons that they can kind of afford to to use two different running backs and keep them fresh. And you know, both of those guys are second round guys. They're both mm-hmm. they're both very talented. So I just don't think that's a situation that I really see emerging outside of there. And, and even there, I just don't know how sustainable it is. Yeah, just real quick, I uh, want to break down the distribution between Hillman and C.J. Anderson so our owners know. Hillman saw 20 carries to C.J. Anderson's 13. Hillman had 20 for 111 yards. C.J. Anderson just 41 yards. And when it comes to the passing game, Anderson targeted four times. Uh, Hillman targeted five times. So, I mean, I said, everyone's been asking me, are are you dropping C.J. Anderson yet? Are you finally done with him? And I said, okay, well, this is the last week here. Uh, Go ahead and see how he does against the Browns because they were missing three starters on defense, granted uh, some of those in in the Cleveland secondary there. But, I mean, even in 10, 12-team leagues, I mean, I definitely can't start C.J. Anderson. I still have a hard time dropping him just because of the upside down the road. But I haven't really seen it so far. Is he someone that you consider dropping just yet? it's so tough, you know, because a lot of people probably invested top 10 picks in this guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was, you know, right up there in that top five running back conversation. I wouldn't cut bait on him just yet. Um, But at the same time, I think it's going to be tough for Denver to keep Ronnie Hillman off the field the way that this offense has been functioning. And Mm -hmm. and that's not uh, a compliment by any means. So, you know, I don't, I think just because of the investment, you don't want to quite cut bait yet, but at the same time, one or two more weeks of this, then it's absolutely going to be time to move on. All right, let's take a look at a couple other running backs. Uh, One is Green Bay. Now, quick caution, Green Bay is on a bye week this upcoming week. So if you go ahead and pick up a guy like James Starks, uh, not going to be able to help you this week, but perhaps the week after. The ownership is identical in Yahoo and ESPN leagues, both 22% here. Uh, I mean, Starks was the main guy over Lacey last week. There was uh, any question about that. I mean, that's not something that I'm ready to see down the stretch, though. As a Packer fan, maybe a little bit surprising one game, but is there any way this type of timeshare can even keep up? I don't, not as drastically as it was on Sunday. And this was pretty surprising, right? I think you follow the, the Green Bay Packers a little bit more closely than I do, but no one really saw this coming. We haven't really seen Eddie Lacy take on a huge workload this season. Obviously, he's been hampered by the ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, th- I thought the expectation was that he was kind of past that in this game. And James Starks was out on the field to begin this game. He was out on the field to end this game. Eddie Lacy, I don't believe he got back there after uh, fumbling the ball, almost losing it. Probably should have lost that fumble. I, I'm assuming you were watching the game live. It looked like mm-hmm. San Diego had it covered up. And I think it was TJ Lang was able to kind of barrel roll in there and, and grab it at the last second. So great play there. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's a very it was very odd. I think James Starks certainly looked better than any Lacey in this game, and then mm-hmm. Lacey's had trouble. He hasn't had a, a rush of longer than 16 yards on the year. Although that's not really his mo. You know, he's a short yardage back, and I don't think it's going to be a split. Uh, you know, like we saw on Sunday where Lacey's only getting four carries compared to 10 for Starks. But 
this this isn't maybe so much of a situation if James Starks doesn't rip off that 65 yard touchdown. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think you see James Starks with 112 yards and a touchdown, and you think, oh wow, he, he must have been the feature back. But you know, if you take that away, and it, it doesn't look Nine like it doesn't for 40 right yards. exactly. He looks just about like Ryan Matthews exactly. But week, at the so. same time, it, it did happen. You know, I mean, it was a yeah. 65 yard touchdown, and that does count for his total and. You know, ripping off 65-yard 60, runs isn't really something that Eddie Lacy can do. So I think maybe they like Starks' ability to be a little bit more shifty, to be a little bit more of a big play guy because they're lacking that right now with the injuries mm-hmm. at receiver. Yeah, here's the way I see it. I think not necessarily, you know, making accusations, but I think Lacy's ankle was bothering him maybe a little bit more than he would let up or the team would let up heading into it. And I think that if there's any question or any uncertainty whatsoever, the team's heading into a bye week. Maybe they'll give Starks a few more carries and not give Lacey so many touches because, you know, just take it easy heading into the bye week, give him the bye week to rest and get treatment, and then hoping, fingers crossed, because I just made a really big trade for Eddie Lacey in, in one of my leagues. I actually gave up another Packer, Randall Cobb, along with Jimmy Graham to get him because oh. I lost Jamal Charles and I needed back oh. so bad. R.I.P. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. Uh, the, the team name was Slim Charles. It's a wires. It's a the wire reference. But uh, gonna have to figure out a way to change that now. But anyway, my philosophy on that was I'm gonna buy low on Lacey. He's going to. He's always been a second half back. He's much stronger in the second half, similar to a guy like Marshawn Lynch. So Eddie Lacey is going to be somebody that should be able to help you a lot in your fantasy playoffs. So uh, I think if you can get him for a low price and his value might be lower this week than any other week it might be time to float a few trade offers out there see if you can get something because his value is only going to go up from here and if you find an owner panicking that he has a need in other areas this is a place where you could possibly step in and take advantage right that's a really good point just real quickly is like you said his value can't get any lower he's not going to have a worse game from a fantasy perspective than mm-hmm. he had on sunday so if somebody is panicking and, and maybe has other options Definitely a guy to listen to for any reasonable offers. Yeah, I'm right I'm right there with you here. And now uh, a couple other kind of small running backs. We're going to kind of focus on deeper leagues. Uh, staying with that game in Green Bay here, maybe taking a look at Brandon Oliver, the Chargers. Again, probably limited to deep, mostly PPR leagues. But the reasoning behind this is Melvin Gordon fumbled twice, and he lost one, one of those fumbles Sunday against the Packers. Especially if you're a rookie running back, that's not going to sit well with the, with the head coach. I mean, we watched plenty of Melvin Gordon in Wisconsin. This fumbling was never an issue. What's I mean... I mean, can you recall this ever being a problem for him? I, I feel like it was. It wasn't maybe a problem uh, as far as hurting his draft stock or anything like that. But I don't. I don't think he was known as like a guy who never, never fumbles. I'm trying to mm-hmm. pull up, uh, you know, what his what his yeah. college stats were as far as fumbles here. I'm not sure if. Yeah. But if, I mean, uh, this ESPN isn't the first time that. it's happened this year in the NFL. So no. I mean, he's getting. He's going to have to kind of earn his way back. And you look at the carry distribution from Sunday. You had Melvin Gordon carry the ball seven times. Those were mostly in the first half. Brandon Oliver also got seven carries. That's the one that we we're mentioning for, you know, maybe just going to throw that out there now a dollar bit if you're in a PPR format. And then there's Danny Woodhead. He also carried the ball seven times, only gained eight yards. Woodhead really more of a factor in the passing game, five catches for 63 yards. But then again, Oliver, four catches for 40 yards. So, I mean, Oliver had a 10-point game in a PPR league, so if you're sitting there in a 14 and a 16-team PPR, and we like to try to cater to all leagues on this podcast, maybe there's something to find here in a guy like Oliver. Uh, I mean, the ceiling may not be super high unless you know something were to happen injury-wise elsewise, elsewhere in that backfield. And, of course, the fact that Phillip Rivers attempted 65 passes isn't something that uh, you know bodes well for any running back in that situation. But if they're going to make Gordon earn his way back kind of in a similar way to maybe Amir Abdullah with the fumbling issues two weeks ago, uh, another Big Ten back there uh, that, that, you know, they kind of 
went in other directions here and, and didn't make him the dominant guy here. I mean, I'd say Brandon Brandon Oliver's worth worth a little bit of a look there. He is, but you know, this is another situation where you know you, it's kind of a hail mary at best, right? You're kind of banking on San Diego punishing Melvin Gordon for mm-hmm. for losing a couple fumbles, and you know, no coach in the NFL. Uh, is ever happy with with anyone losing a fumble, especially mm-hmm. a rookie. But with as much as with as much invested in Melvin Gordon as the San Diego Chargers have right now, I don't think I don't think they're going to try to teach him a lesson by any means, you know, mm-hmm. by benching him or anything like that. So you know, maybe another fumble or two, and then we can start talking about that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be scrambling to add Brandon Oliver unless you know unless you're really very confident or or have some sort of insider info that that Melvin Gordon's going to take a step back in this offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I guess we'll wait and see here. And another interesting back I want to talk about who I think of in the same light as Brandon Oliver, not only in a sense that really only going to rec- recommend a one two dollar bid for a guy like this, but in a, in a similar sense probably PPR only is uh, I'm going to shift over to Detroit here where you've got Theo Riddick. I mean, he got targeted six times out of the backfield, caught three passes for 50 yards. And at the same time, we mentioned Abdullah's struggles a little bit early on. Abdullah still carried the ball 14 times, only ended up with 48 yards against what's really an atrocious Bears run defense there. So nothing really to see there. Theo Riddick also carried the ball seven times and he gained 28 yards. So, I mean, is he maybe someone to look at in the DPPR leagues too? We saw how the Lions used Reggie Bush in years past, and, and that's kind of how I think of him uh, that uh, that way. I mean, after Abdullah fumbled, they went to Zenner two weeks ago quite a bit, but uh, this really seemed to be Abdullah with a lot of Theo Riddick mixed in on third down. So every once in a while, there's value to be found in these third down backs, usually in PPR formats. Yeah, I think Abdullah is maybe somebody I'm a little bit more worried about uh, being benched for his fumbles. He's had fumble issues, known fumble issues coming out of Nebraska, mm-hmm. and, and that those have kind of manifested themselves again now in the NFL um he's only lost one fumble this year but he's he's already fumbled the ball three times should have lost one against Arizona two weeks ago uh ended up having a the play reversed but a very close call there and he's just a little bit more reckless with the ball than most running backs you know than you'd like most running backs to be but Theo Riddick I think you know very impressive uh game on Sunday like you mentioned and the thing that really jumps out to me is just the receiving I mean he's he's been over 30 yards in every game and that's as you know the second or third running back for this Mm -hmm. team which is kind of a poor man's Benny Cunningham, uh, if you will, at this point. I mean, he's up to 278 receiving yards. That's like double what Roddy White has on the year. Yeah, and I mean, if you have guys on a bye, which, you know, this week and buys are only going to heat up for the next couple weeks, at the very least you can get someone there in your lineup that will get you six to eight points. And I think that's right. the reason why guys like Riddick and, and maybe even Oliver, maybe I guess on a little bit of a lower tier based on how we've kind of talked about this already, but, I mean, that's why we got to talk about guys like these on the pod because they can help uh, a decent amount of people. Um, while we're on the running back topic here, though, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, standard uh, in-house Jigs thing. TJ Yeldon was banged up last week. He had a sit. Not too much. Uh, I mean, what's going on in that backfield? Are we hoping to have him back next week? Uh, and if not, is there anyone worth looking at? Jags haven't said much. They get the London game, so a little bit of an earlier start. Um, you know, if no news comes out by – Friday, Saturday, probably not worth the risk just because of that mm-hmm. early start. Um, but you know, he was he was a game time call as of Saturday for for this past Sunday's game, so that's certainly encouraging. I mean, it sounds like it's nothing that's going to keep him out uh, for more than a week or two at the most. They have the bye after the London game this week, so that kind of concerns me. You know, it could kind of be what we saw with Devontae Adams in Green Bay this past week. You know, it sounded like Adams was maybe getting close to playing, but you know, they just decided, you know, we can make it through this game. We have the bye. Why rush him back? And I think Jacksonville might ultimately go that direction. 
if Yeldon does sit, I wouldn't really take a flyer on Toby Gerhardt. I actually had to start the the combination of Toby Gerhardt and Dexter McCluster in the Roto League Ooh. this past week. McCluster actually scored, so that turned out all right. And Gerhardt had like 30 yards or something, so it was all right. He, he actually does an all right job as a receiver. But no, not a lot to like in that Green Bay, or in that Jacksonville backfield outside of TJ Yeldon. Denard Robinson returned last week after missing three weeks with a knee injury. He had just two or three carries. So mm-hmm. I think that was kind of part of the reason that Blake Bortles had to air it out. He was also their leading rusher in this game is they just didn't like their options in the backfield. And with no Yeldon, that could very well be the case against a very, very good Bills uh, front seven that they're going to face in London. Yeah, and if anything, hey, 40-50 pass attempts uh, even, even helps Bortles more than anything. We, and- could get, we might be getting a Blake Bortles-EJ Manuel bowl in London. Like, I don't know if the NFL is trying to cultivate interest. I don't know why we keep sending them teams like this. Yeah, I mean, I would never see any nationally televised action. Maybe, you know, I guess, what is it, 8 30, I think it's 9 30 our time, and it's broadcast live on like a Yahoo stream, I believe. Okay. I think that's new this year. So, this is the only chance I get to see the Jaguars uh, on non, you know, pirated streams uh, <laughs> quality. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much what we got for running backs this week. A couple quick notes before we move on to Anthony Thomas. Didn't really see any work with uh, Charles out in Kansas City, just kind of cl- housekeeping here. I would probably avoid the Cleveland and Tennessee backfield. I saw you kind of uh, noted that in there. Um, pretty much Just a lot to, of splits. Too yeah. much, you know, like the carries are there. The workload is there. But, mm-hmm. you know, Cleveland, I think, split it up between three backs. Yep. Tennessee kind of doing the same thing. And you just they, they all just detract from each other. I think the Cleveland backfield is a little bit more productive, <clears throat> excuse me, overall this season but you know when you're splitting the the workload between three guys I I don't know who to trust it's just too much of a gamble each week yeah I mean the Cleveland offensive line excellent at run blocking but uh what really shook things up is having Robert Turbin come back this week Uh, they they acquired him early in the year and he had been dealing with an injury he's back he got 10 carries only turned that into 27 yards Duke Johnson nine carries Crowell 11 carries so two even of a split here and uh, yeah, I just don't feel great about starting anyone. Maybe Duke Johnson in a PPR format. He caught three pa- th- three passes on four targets, uh, eighteen yards only. So not really a big game from any of these. I think guys. he's the guy I like the most out of yeah. that backfield. But mm-hmm. they just don't seem to have really come to a consensus as to who's going to get more than a third of the carries. Yeah. So overall, both those, uh, both Cleveland and Tennessee, I-, I would agree with you, Nick. I'd say avoid. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. Week 7 DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event with $1 million going to first place. Go to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code ROTOWIRE to play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. That's promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Nick, once again, Jake Letarski here with Nick Whalen going over waiver wire options this week. Time to head on over to wide receivers. Uh, highlight a couple guys that we've previously discussed. Alan Hearns we kind of talked about with the Bortles thing, so we don't need to spend a ton of time there. Still got some availability. I wouldn't let him sit on the waiver wire in any of your leagues. Uh, another guy we talked about, you know, Ty Montgomery, dealing with his own ankle injury now, so he could probably be dropped in shallower formats. Hang on to him in deeper ones just in case. But Stefan Diggs is someone that Eric and I touched on quite a bit uh last week and he's really seeming to be one of the top targets there uh overall this week now finished with seven catches on nine targets from teddy bridgewater 129 yards i mean in the waiver wire column our own kevin payne suggested he could be one of the vikings wide receivers are you buying any of that or do you wait and see do you want to see it a few more times here out out of a guy like Diggs, or or is it just kind of a situation that it could go to anybody in a given week 
Yeah, I mean, you don't want to trust the Minnesota passing attack at all. I think that's mm -hmm. pretty clear by this point in the season. But the other thing is I think we almost have to temper our expectations as far as what you're going to be able to dig up on the waiver wire on a weekly basis. You know, if there's a guy who's had two or three productive weeks, he's probably not going to be on the waiver wire. So, you know, Stephon Diggs looks like a great option this week just because he's probably the most productive and recently productive guy available. Mm -hmm. Cordero Patterson just hasn't seemed to work out at all. Uh, and the rest of this, this uh, Minnesota receiving core, I mean, Mike Wallace has been all right. Uh, certainly not the kind of production. Right, inconsistent. Charles he, Johnson has just been just not he's great. He's been banged up and just very not much utilized. I think, well, I think people, right or wrong, I, I heard comparisons like, oh, he could be there, Martavis Bryant this year, ready to break out. And it's like, well, he has Teddy Bridgewater throwing in the ball, so mm -hmm. probably not. Yeah, not um, quite going to do it. But, the, I mean, the nice thing with Stephon Diggs, if he is still available – um, is the targets that he's seeing. Uh, you, you know, even if Bridgewater has an off game, when you're giving him 10 targets a game, chances are he's going to reel in five or six of those. Uh, and in PPR, that kind of that kind of raises his floor. You know, it's, I think right now Diggs has the highest floor of any receiver in that offense. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily be scrambling to grab him, but you know, if you are, if you have a situation with your buys and, and how they work out, and you need a receiver, I think he's got to be one of the top options available. Yeah, I could see him as a reasonable wide receiver three in, in, in a fourteen team format, maybe. Just kind of looking at the most recent RotoWire update, Coach Mike Zimmer of the Vikings wasn't quite definitive in saying whether he's taken Charles Johnson's job, but he did leave open the possibility, and the numbers and the targets seem to suggest that. So digs with quite a bit of availability this week quite possibly worth a look and I'm glad you mentioned Martavis Bryant there because I just looked at his ownership just for the heck of it beforehand I know he dealt with that suspension and then was wasn't active or wasn't activated the first time he he could have been he was but certainly active uh he, this past Sunday yes absolutely active this past Sunday and I looked he is owned in 80 percent of ESPN and 84 percent of Yahoo but even if you're in an eight-team league you got to go out and get this guy like right now right yeah and you know you kind of take it with a little bit of a grain of salt just because 88 of those yards came on one play where uh, basically a tackling breakdown by that Arizona defense very uncharacteristic of yeah. them but I mean he was basically able to catch a you know a slant over the middle and just run free uh, for, for about 80 yards and that's certainly not going to happen every week but you definitely want a guy on your team who's capable of making those type of plays and you know if Landry Jones is is going to end up under center this week and that looks like the case I think he certainly has the highest upside just because Antonio Brown is in sync with Big Ben. I think that's where so much of his value comes from. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Antonio Brown, it's like, what, what does he really, really do at an elite, elite level? And it's, I think he's just one of those guys that's really, really good at a lot of things. He's, you know, mm -hmm. one of the most well-rounded receivers in the league. But when you get him with a, a more inexperienced quarterback, a guy who's not going to be looking to him nearly as much, I mean, his target numbers and, and his receiving numbers have plummeted since Big Ben was out of the lineup. I think, you know, a guy like Martavis Bryant just has that higher upside on a week-to-week -week basis right now. So I'm not saying you need to go out and bench Antonio Brown for Martavis Bryant, but from a big play perspective, with Landry Jones at quarterback, I think I might almost like Martavis Bryant a little bit more. Yeah, I can very much see where you're coming from. And you mentioned a vast variety of skill sets for Brown. Some of the things he does best, I think, are personally his route running, his hands, and then, of course, in the open field. He's occasionally been used in the punt return game there. And for those qualities to really maximize, you have to have the timing down with your quarterback. And, and of course, he has that down with Ben Roethlisberger. Doesn't quite have that down with um, with Mike Vick, who was a late addition to the roster. Or Landry Jones, even, who, uh, are, I mean, third-string quarterback, how many reps are you really going to get with him in the offseason there? So, uh, yeah, I'm hesitant. I took a lot of Antonio Brown, and I'm a little bit hesitant. It looked like a brilliant first-round draft pick in those first couple weeks after Roethlisberger. But... 
I mean, I'm not. I'm just counting down the weeks so he can get back there. Right, and it's and it sounds like if it's not this week, you know, there's a pretty slight chance that Big Ben gets back. Sounds like he wants to test things out in practice. But he also did come out and say Tuesday morning, you know, if I feel like I can't go, I'm not going to steal reps from Landry. You know, they, they want him to be as ready as possible. And I think Pittsburgh has to feel pretty good if they can make it through the stretch without Big Ben and come out at at five and two at the best and four and three at the worst. Yeah, I'm right there with you here. But let's move on to a couple other receivers. Uh, two Floyds that have a lot of availability here. And I'm talking about Michael Floyd of Arizona and Malcolm Floyd of San Diego here. Uh, I just wanted to mention them together so you don't grab the wrong one There's on accident. Too many Floyds there. in the NFL these yeah, days. Too Ugh. many Floyds, I guess. But uh, let's start with Michael Floyd. Because he's someone who, I don't know, Clay and I have been kind of pumping up a little bit early on. But he hasn't quite lived up to what uh, we thought necessarily yet but he did have a pretty nice game last week now he's only owned in 32 percent of yahoo 42 percent of espn leagues actually surprisingly in espn formats over the last uh, calendar week he was the top 10 most dropped wide receiver so a lot of people were cutting bait uh pretty much is in in a this is what have you done for me lately type mindset and uh you know floyd got dropped in a lot of places so he might be worth a look picking up i considered it but i wanted to hang out and hold out hope and not the most flashy game on paper last week five catches 50 yards one touchdown and eight targets but he did get uh one touchdown that was a sure one called back on you know maybe a questionable offensive pass interference call here so i mean is there enough room for floyd in in an offense that is already going to feature larry fitzgerald and maybe even john brown getting double digit targets do you have enough trust in palmer to spread the ball around i'm trying to figure out this arizona team um i think they probably burned a lot of people this week in pickums and survivors if anybody's still alive and and survivor pools with the way this early season has gone Mm -hmm. i think there certainly is enough room i mean as much as as Carson Palmer's been throwing the ball around this season. I think there can be room. I think we're looking at this through a different lens if that uh, touchdown isn't called back on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, his line ends up looking quite a bit better. Uh, and we're, we're probably talking about him as a potential breakout guy the rest of the week and, or the rest of the year. And I think that's kind of how we have to color these discussions. You mentioned, you know, what have you mm-hmm. done for me lately? And people are so quick to, to cut guys and, and so quick to add guys like Charkandrick West who, you know, looked like he might have broken out for a half of a game and I think it's important just to, to to make sure not to make those you know knee-jerk decisions and you look at the target numbers for Michael Floyd five seven three and eight over the last four games obviously you're not thrilled about the three targets against Detroit but over five each of the previous three games that's a third receiver uh, I don't think that's too bad and especially a team that's already has four or excuse me three 40-point outings this season I think they're capable of doing that uh, you know, on a weekly basis, honestly, and and the way that they rebounded after that tough loss uh, to St. Louis, you know, blowing out Detroit, I don't necessarily think that they that they come back and and blow out Baltimore, but Baltimore's mm-hmm. not a very good team, and Arizona's already proven that they can respond after a tough loss. So I think you can kind of buy low on on a guy like Michael Floyd, and you know, if you're in some trouble with buys or injuries, then maybe throw him in as a third receiver as a flex. Yeah, I'm right there with you in season long, and he's a guy I'm going to watch closely in daily formats as well because he's really he's really a deep threat on this team because Larry Fitzgerald's been playing a lot out of the slot this year. John Brown's got a ton of targets, but he's only 5'11". You don't really think of him as a deep threat. And Floyd, if he can really kind of get going, I mean, he was hurt to start the year. He was hurt pretty much all last year, so there's a good chance there. But what about Malcolm Floyd? Now, he's someone that I want to look at uh, less less ownership than Michael Floyd, only 11% of Yahoo, 25% of ESPN leagues. But Malcolm Floyd, 
he got a ton of targets uh, last week, I guess, when you, when you look at it. Of course, we continuously mentioned the 65 passes thrown by Phillip Rivers. So that helped Malcolm Floyd get 12 targets. And But Keenan Allen, he's dealing with a hip injury. He could end up being a game-time call. So I'm going to watch my, Malcolm Floyd in, in all DFS uh, and possibly season-long if I'm in a pinch. Uh, is, is that the right call? Is he one of your top guys this week? I think... If Keenan Allen doesn't play, then he jumps into that territory. Otherwise, probably not. Um, you know, before that 12-target game against Green Bay, which I think at the end of the season we'll look back and see how much of an anomaly that is. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to throw the ball probably anywhere near that that number of times the rest of the season. Other than that game, he had just one game uh, of over five targets. <coughs> wow. Excuse me. Just one game uh, where he topped five targets, uh, well, top four targets, I suppose, if you really look at it. The yardage totals have been solid considering where he sits uh, in this receiving core. But, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I just don't really like his upside. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with you there. This is the first double-digit targets of this week. And we always, you can preach, follow the targets. You got to do it. But, again, if Keenan Allen sits for whatever reason, you got to look, look at him. And, and another receiver in that boat is Albert Wilson. He's really more of a deep deep league guy to go through to because he's pretty much available everywhere but Jeremy Macklin is going through concussion protocol Alex Smith threw the ball 37 times last week which uh I mean with Jamal Charles out you might need to readjust your offensive game plan a little bit if the Chiefs find themselves down Macklin and of course they're down Charles here is there enough targets for a guy like him he he, he was targeted six times Caught the ball three times for 57 yards, had a nice breakaway touchdown. Uh, is he worth a couple bucks, or do you just wait for waivers to clear? Maybe uh, maybe just throw a $0 bid if you're, if you're there. It has to be a really deep format, right? Yeah, I don't think many people will be tossing out fab for Albert Wilson. Uh, I don't think it'd really be worth paying more than a couple dollars. But you know, like you said, you have to look at guys like Macklin, who's been kind of a target mm-hmm. vacuum for this team, and those have to go somewhere, and they don't have Jamal Charles to catch them out of the backfield anymore. So... Yeah, I mean, he's kind of the, the next guy up in this offense. So only if uh, if Jeremy Macklin ends up sitting with that concussion would I start looking into Albert Wilson. Yeah, and one more guy that might fly out under the radar this week is Marvin Jones of the Bengals. And the reason I say that is because the Bengals are on a bye week, so people aren't going to rush to pick him up on the waiver wire, especially if they're making those moves because they need a wide receiver replacement. So he might have some surprising availability. He caught nine of his 12 targets for 95 yards and a touchdown against Buffalo, and their pass defense is surely no slouch there. You got Jones, 36% owned in Yahoo, 29% in ESPN. That seems crazy low right yeah that that seems very low I think he if you have the bench room you can make a case for Jones being the top target this week we didn't mention him till the end because of the bye week he's not going to be able to help you right away but I'm one of those people that's constantly rotating my bottom couple bench guys I want to have the best team each and every week there and with the way Andy Dalton's been playing this week this year even and the usage I mean okay so AJ Green only got seven targets in that game and Jones got 12 and you look down to the next on the depth chart, Mohamed Sanu, who we thought was going to be second, only four targets, only caught two passes for 30 yards. I mean, there's plenty of utility to find uh, Marvin Jones, and I think there's plenty of room for him, even if you take, uh, even with Eifert and A.J. Green in that offense. Yeah, they're, I'm very surprised by those numbers, uh, the percent own numbers on Marvin Jones. And if you look through his game log, the reception numbers really haven't been there, but he's gotten in the end zone three times. He's topped 90 yards twice. Uh, looking up and down, the options that are available in most leagues, I think he's got to be up there as one of the best, if not the best, you know, in a great offense, an offense that's proven to be able to move the ball against just about any defense that they've faced. 
Um, a lot to like about Marvin Jones. Like I said, I'm, I'm shocked by those low uh, ownership numbers. Yeah, I was quite surprised as well. And before we move on to tight ends, uh, is there any guys that you maybe want to hit on that kind of caught your eye last week that you might want to take a look at? A couple of guys who are available, and I'm just joy- I'm judging this off of the, the Rotowire League. It's a 16-team league that we run here uh, with our staff and, and a couple of interns to fill some spots. Guys who are available here. So, you know, most people probably aren't playing in a league that's a whole lot deeper. So hopefully these are decent guidelines based on your league. But Lance Moore coming off of a, a six-catch, 106 yards, one touchdown last week, two straight weeks with a touchdown for him. Um, you know, obviously there's not a ton to like about that Detroit offense right now. Matthew Stafford coming off of his best game of the season. If they can get anything figured out, though, with the weapons that they have there, uh, I, I think that offense can become a little bit more fantasy productive going forward. Cecil Shorts uh, of Houston, he's topped 50 yards in four of his last five games, just one touchdown there. Obviously, the quarterbacks are a big issue for Houston, but still a guy to keep an eye on, a guy who has a relatively high floor uh, if you're just kind of looking to to mitigate the risk there. And Roddy White, I just wanted to talk about him generally. I, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that he's a guy I like at all. He's a guy that I did take at, at the end of a couple of my drafts just because I was kind of shocked that he was still available, but apparently the people that I'm playing with knew a little bit better than I did. I mean, is he completely, completely out of this offense at this point? I mean, he kind of redeemed himself this past week on Thursday night, finally got in the end zone, but just four catches for 23 yards. Uh, Had 84 yards in week one, but pretty much since then, he's just been off the radar. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is who was actually starting him on Thursday night after these first five weeks where he caught eight passes combined? I mean, there's, there's really nobody able to take advantage of that. And I think the question here is, I mean, do you drop him yet? I, I just Freeman's, or I'm sorry, Matt Ryan's giving so many targets. Obviously, Julio Jones, a target monster, and deservingly so. Um, and then, of course, you've got Devonta Freeman coming out of the backfield, who can make just big time plays happen. I, I saw Ray Rice comparisons when, or in his heyday for Baltimore to Devonta yeah. Freedom, kind of a, a similar comparison there. So, I, I mean, Roddy White at 33 years old, he's been around the league since. Uh, I, Forever. Forever, yes. He's 33 years old, so I think he debuted in 2005. Yeah. Well, I remember being in, like, in like middle school, and my coach was super excited about picking Roddy White up off the waiver wire because that's about how far back we're going. Roddy White had some, you know, quick sidebar, some low-key, very nice seasons. I mean, six straight years of at least 100, uh, 1,100 yards, I should say. Five of those years, he topped 1,200 yards. Um, two double-digit touchdown seasons. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, I think he probably ends up falling short of the Hall of Fame, uh, but certainly a somewhat of a compelling case. Mm-hmm. But this season, I mean, if you have Marvin Jones sitting on your waiver wire, if you have Michael Floyd, maybe Malcolm Floyd, definitely if Allen's out there. Another guy I like based on upside, Brandon LaFell coming back possibly in week seven. They haven't confirmed that yet. But, I mean, if you have any of those guys sitting out there, I would probably consider dropping Roddy White. We always say who to add but never really say who to drop, and I think he's starting to reach that territory. Yeah, well, the if night- you're in a 10- or 12-team league, he's probably you've probably done it already. Yeah, I, th- I think that goes without saying. But the thing about Roddy White is once you drop him, you know there are going to be probably two or three weeks where he's going to burn you with a touchdown or maybe he gets 80 yards on you know seven catches just with how proficient that Atlanta offense has been and you know Matt Ryan's a good quarterback and their schedule is really soft but I think you just kind of have to take that in stride because if you're really going to you know if he's if you're going to keep him around and think about starting him each week I think you're going to get burned more often than it's going to end up being a reward yeah I would absolutely agree with you there I mean there's a spot for him on your bench but you really can't uh you can't count on the guy and in a whole lot of formats at this point. I yeah. mean, the, the one good week, and then uh, and, and then that's all we got. So, uh, 
Let's move on, though, to the tight end position where there's just a quick pair of tight ends where we want to look at here. Uh, One of them uh, was a big ad after week one, but then suffered an injury and has been out of action until recently. That's Austin Safarian Jenkins of Tampa Bay. Right now, he's only owned in 28% of Yahoo and 10% of ESPN leagues. And the guy came out... uh, going nuts with a huge week one there uh seemed to be Jameis Winston's favorite target especially with uh Mike Evans when he was on the shelf early on uh I mean hasn't really seen the field here since uh since week two uh where, where when he did get hurt but five catches for 110 yards and two touchdowns week one against Tennessee uh are you trying to go ahead and get this guy back is, is can he be a top can he be a top 15 tight end maybe the rest of the season that seems pretty reasonable right yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he was kind of pegged by a lot of people to be a breakout guy uh, this season, and obviously the the injuries prevented that from happening. But when he was on the field, he, he was you looked great. I think you you like what he brings from a size perspective, helping out a quarterback like Jameis Winston, who isn't always the most accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't know if I'm quite ready to to shell out big fab money for him just because we're not sure when he's going to be back. You know, Tampa Bay coming off of that bye week, we're not really sure. Uh, what his status is yet they haven't issued an update mm-hmm. um, well just for some context he was doubtful for the game before the bye week right. so for the uh, Jacksonville game he apparently he was doubtful for that game and then you have a bye week I'd imagine he'll come into the week with a questionable status this will be one of those things to watch closely throughout the week uh, maybe check out check it in on the injury right. podcast tomorrow well, the thing is if you if you have another tight end that you like and can use for a week or two mm-hmm. and you have the available roster spot yeah, absolutely go for it. I think it's it's worth getting him now because you know, if it comes if it comes out say he doesn't play on Sunday but they, you know, there's a comment after the game, Lovey Smith says, "Oh yeah, we're expecting, you know, Austin to be back next week." Then it's going to be a frenzy, you know, and then the bid's just going to go up. So if you have the mm-hmm. capacity on your roster to add him early and and maybe you have to eat a roster spot for a couple of weeks, um, I think that would probably be worth it in the long run. And just one last thing on ASJ here. He's got a pretty nice schedule coming up here at Washington, at Atlanta, Home against the Giants, home against Dallas, at Philly, at Indy, home again. I mean, I could just keep going on. There's a lot of defenses in there. It doesn't get till the very end where you got the Rams in Week 15, the Panthers in Week 17, where it might get a little rough. But there's a nice schedule there for him. And uh, I mean, earlier in the year, I bid $21 after that Week One performance. Performance. I I think you can get away if you get him this week. I wrote down 15 to 20 originally, but I think if you're getting him this week, you could probably get away with the 8 to 12 range. But the moment he has one big week in his back, uh, I think that the single-digit possibility is just about over there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's completely right. All right, one more tight end I want to look at real quick uh, is Ben Watson from New Orleans, and a lot of people are going to forget about him because he uh, you know, was back on the Thursday night game. Seems like a while ago now, now that we're sitting here on Tuesday, almost a week ago actually. But Watson, uh, 10 passes on 12 targets for 127 yards. Everyone seemed to be jumping on the Willie Sneed train. Uh, this past week, and 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 now it's Watson that, that gets the, the the looks. Is there any way he can keep this up, or is it too random for you? I think it's pretty random. Uh, you know, if you look look back at his targets and his receptions uh, for the previous five games, you know, receptions three, two, four, three, three, and then ten on Thursday night. Uh, I think that's going to look like quite an outlier. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not like he's you know we just talked about Austin Safarian Jenkins. It's not like he's a younger guy who you can see like oh maybe he's developing continuity. He's going to mm-hmm. be a bigger target. He's 34 years old. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say that ship has sailed necessarily because, you know, he certainly could continue to be productive, but not a guy I'm really going to be looking at at all this week on the waiver wire. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, if you need a single-week tight end replacement for one week against the Colts, 
Um, I mean, then that's who the Saints have this week in Indianapolis. I'd say, hey, maybe go for it. But uh, I don't know about the season-long utility. Josh Hill is still around. Eventually, they'll get Colston health, healthy. And there's just a – I mean, Snead's going to have his weeks. And, of course, all the running backs there that they don't – I mean, Ingram's going to get his touches. You go to Spiller. You go to Kyrie. There's just so many options in that offense that – and Sean Payton's a good enough of an offensive schemer, I guess you could say, that he'll take what the defense gives you. And any one of these players could have a big week on a given week. I didn't even mention Brandon Cooks, who's supposed to be the real big th- – big play threat there so yeah not, not as high on Ben Watson as, as many might be but th- there's still a look there hey I told people three weeks ago I wasn't high on Gary Barnage and look at look at what happened here sometimes fantasy football can be weird man yes it can I think that goes without saying yeah absolutely well kickers defenses are usually touch on for a couple minutes I'm gonna go ahead and not talk about kickers this week uh, once it gets to the winter months I'll start highlighting some kickers in a dome Top three added kickers on ESPN this past week, Nick Novak, Blair Walsh, Robbie Gold. Take with that what you will, um, but not a whole lot of upside there. Defenses, anything on the schedule that kind of stands out to you for streaming defenses? I know uh, Minnesota coming off a of bye week. They're heading to Detroit. They've been, or I'm sorry, or Detroit's coming off a of bye week. Minnesota played the Chiefs this past week, or no, nope. I don't know why I wrote coming off a of bye <laughs> week in there. It's just Minnesota and Detroit. Yep. Everybody ignore Minnesota's that. Minnesota was on bye two weeks seconds. ago. Yes, two weeks ago, exactly. But uh, Minnesota heading to Detroit, uh, maybe a decent matchup there, although the Lions put up a lot of points. My favorite might be the Bengals, D, but they're another one that's coming up on a bye week here. That Maybe that's where that was supposed to go. But uh, no, the Bengals defense uh, coming up on a bye week, still only owned in 46% of ESPN, 47% of Yahoo. Uh, yeah, like I said, they're heading into a bye, so you won't be able to use them this week. But maybe something to think about. And then, I don't know, sometimes I like to pick on the younger quarterback. So maybe Washington at home against Tampa Bay. They did give up 34 points to the Jets, though, so not a lot. Do you, any of those guys look good to you? Anything else stand out on the schedule, or is that pretty much what we're rolling with for, for defenses this week here? Uh, I mean, as far as defenses that might not be owned, Jacksonville-Buffalo is interesting. Um, that Jags D going up against maybe EJ Manuel and a long trip to London, you know, kind of yes. a short week considering – um, you know, everything that's going to go into it as far as travel and, travel, and just the, inc- leg, the inconvenience, everything. all that. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a sluggish effort from both of those teams. I think you could do worse than giving Jacksonville mm-hmm. a shot. Um, you know, Atlanta at Tennessee. Um, this is a Tennessee team that could be without Marcus Mariota and could be very, very turnover prone. Mm-hmm. And this is a Falcons team that's proven that they're capable of, of finally forcing some turnovers in that yep. secondary that's been so bad for the last few years. But um, you know, I think those are both kind of boomer bust type of plays. I think the Falcons are maybe a little bit safer. Yeah, I just then when you're looking at a defense for the week, I always look at the over under on a game. So Bills Jags over under is only 42 in that game. So uh, I would I would act, definitely agree with that. The uh, I mentioned the Redskins maybe against the Buccaneers over under 43. Falcons Titans a little bit higher 48 and I think maybe Atlanta's ownership might be drying up a little bit more. But uh, yeah, overall there the um, not a whole lot of. Uh, Excellent options this week. I always check back to rotowire.com to, to look at Andrew Martinez's streaming defense article. If you need 10 days, rotowire.com slash free. Well, thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Remember to use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out Rotowire for free 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod. That's rotowire.com slash P O D. Once again, for Nick Whalen, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hosting with me this week. Uh, I'm Jake Latarski, and uh, the Injury po- uh, Podcast will be back with you on Wednesdays.
They're gonna kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13.